I know that you know what road trips are. You've been on many road trips. I'm kind of wondering what you have planned for this summer, whether maybe in your RV or maybe just in your minivan or on your motorcycle, whatever it is. How many of you are planning a road trip this summer that'll go at least 100 miles? Okay. How many of you at least 500 miles for your road trip? Still lots of you. How many at least 1,000 miles or more? There are some of you, several of you actually. How many of you going more than 1,000 miles are going to have preschoolers with you? Yeah, we'll pray for you. Yes, there are several of you. You're sweating already, I can tell. All right, well, there are several features to road trips that are common to all of us. We've all had those experiences. And today, or actually over the course of this series, what we're going to be doing is pulling some of those out because I believe that there are some spiritual principles that we can actually derive from road trips. And I don't know if you've noticed the card that is in your bulletin today, but on the back side, it gives you some of the topics that we are going to be addressing. Navigation, traveling companions, distracted driving, idiot light, detours, guardrails, rest areas, and a special one that's not even on there yet. We're looking very much forward to that. I'm looking very much forward to that, and I hope that you'll be back, and I hope that you'll be bringing some other folks with you as we make our way along. Now, today we get this kicked off with this idea of navigation. And, and setting a best course for where we're going. Every good road trip begins with setting out the navigation of where you're going to go. Now that's different today than what it used to be. At least the way that you do it is different today than it used to be. It used to be when you're setting out, when you're setting out on a trip and you'd set up the navigation, you'd use something called a map. All right, a map was this paper thing that you opened up kind of like an accordion and, and you might even highlight the route you were gonna go on and then you'd fold it over so it was just the part that you were traveling and you'd follow it. And then when the time came and the trip was over, you wanted to fold that thing all back up but there was no way. I mean, it would not go back the way that it started. You've had this experience. Or maybe if you had AAA, you got something called a... Exactly. That's exactly it. Trip how many of you use triptychs at some point? Man, that's amazing to me how many of you use triptychs. We certainly did. We followed it along as we made our way down the journey. Today, it's GPS navigation. And GPS is far superior in so many ways, but it's not foolproof. It is not foolproof. I saw this most recently in a story of a woman from Massachusetts who was driving and she was using her GPS and the GPS said, turn left. So she did, right into a cornfield. And she thought, well, the GPS can't be wrong. Eventually it'll get me to my destination. So she kept driving through the whole cornfield until she emerged on the other side, which was a golf course. And there are people playing golf, and they said she drove up to 45 miles an hour down the cart path until she ended up here. That's where her journey ended. The cop showed up. She's still there in the sand trap. She said, it's not my fault. The GPS told me to go there. That was her explanation. Of course, it didn't help her explanation at all that she also admitted to having drunk a half a liter of vodka just a little bit before her travels, and that she had an open container in the car. Kind of a crazy story when you think about it, but if you're gonna drive intoxicated, ending up with an outcome like that is just kind of par for the course. <clears throat> Come on, it's a foregone conclusion, right? Okay, sorry about that. You're right, I'm not. I'm not the least bit sorry about that. 
Hopefully your experience with navigation is a little bit better than, than that, though, for you. Seeing the best course is really important, and, and with a GPS, you set up certain parameters, and if you get the right parameters plugged in, you're going to probably have a successful journey and end up where you want to be. But the fact of the matter is, I, I got to thinking that wouldn't it be awesome if there was a spiritual GPS? I mean, something where you could plug in the destination that you wanted to go to, and you would get step-by-step instructions, turn here, go there, read this passage, pray this prayer, go to this church, do these things, confess this sin, and you're going to end up at the destination. And if you ever took a wrong turn off of the path, that it would tell you how to get right back onto that path. I think that would be awesome because I'm someone who can get off the path sometimes, And sometimes I get too stubborn about just getting right back on where I was supposed to be from the start. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was that sort of a spiritual GPS, spiritual navigation that was available for us in that way? Well, there is. There is. On one occasion, Jesus was talking to the disciples and he was telling them that the time was coming when he was going to be going away and he wouldn't be with them any longer and they were bummed out about that. Actually, there was anxiety in their heart about that because they were accustomed to having Jesus with them to help them to know where to go and and what to do and now he's going to be gone. He said, you don't need to fear that. You don't need to worry about that because I'm sending someone to be with you and that someone is the Holy Spirit. And here's what Jesus said about him in John chapter 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Just let that sink in for a second. Jesus is saying that, yes, I'm going away, but... I'm going to send one for you, for your benefit, so that when you need to know the direction to go, he will guide you into all the truth. That's the promise that we have. I think that's an awesome promise. Anybody here ever need some direction? Anybody here ever wonder about the the course that they are supposed to take? What am I supposed to do in this particular financial situation? Should I turn this way? Should I go that way? What am I supposed to do with my job? Should I take this job? Should I take this other job? What about school? Should I go to this school or that school? What about a major? What should I major in? Who should I marry? Anybody ever have circumstances where you're trying to figure out just what the best course would be? I think we all have those circumstances. In fact, I know it. And what the scriptures tell to us, what Jesus says to us, is that there is one who is available to help to guide you into all the truth. I think that's pretty fantastic. And if that's true, why do I get that sort of benefit? Why is that something that's available for me? And how do I access it? Important questions. This is kind of where it gets fun. Because we've got a God, a great and glorious God, who has things in mind for us, who has desires for us. But he's also off in a way that we can't have daily sort of face-to-face engagement with him. And he wanted us to know who he is. And so he sent God the Son to come and be in our midst so that we might see him face to face, so that we might be able to interact and talk to him and touch him and understand more and more about who God is and what his his loving will would be for us. But Jesus himself said, well, there's going to be a time when I'm going away, as we've already pointed out. 
And he said, I'm going to send someone to come in my midst, as we've already pointed out. And Jesus came and he accomplished his purposes. And he went to the cross and he died for the sins of mankind. And he rose victoriously over the grave and then it was time for him to go away. And that's when the Spirit came upon all who believe. It's a promise that was given to us about that. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says this. When you believed, (coughs) excuse me, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. So if you're a believer in God, that is saying that the Spirit of God is alive in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. That's direct access to God because the Holy Spirit is God himself. And as Jesus said about the Spirit's arrival, as we've already pointed out, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's awesome. But it's also a joint venture Don't miss that. So often we run off kind of doing our own thing or thinking this is what I have in mind. This is where I'm going to go. And we negate the fact that the Spirit of God wants to speak into that. Leads to our key truth that I really want to be sure that we catch here today and it's this, that plotting the best course, plotting the best course can't be done alone. We try to do that oftentimes, but we will never get to that best place apart from hearing and receiving and engaging with what it is the Spirit would lead us to do. That's good, but how do we access the Spirit's part of all of that? Well, God speaks to his Spirit in any of a number of different ways, and it's important that we would recognize the relationship we are in with the Spirit in order to make sure that we're in a place and of a mindset that we're going to receive that. Because the Spirit of God, as we have pointed out, lives and dwells within us. What that means is that the Spirit of God doesn't need to use something audible. He doesn't need to use your ears. He doesn't have to do something visible in order for you to figure out what it is that he might be communicating to you because he's internal. He can use internal means of communication. He can speak into our thoughts and into our conscience and into our emotions, which means that we need to develop a sensitivity to listen to our feelings and to listen to our emotions and listen to our conscience when it speaks. And sometimes we get a little bit suspicious about that, about this idea that it's just going to be a thought that I have and that's supposed to be what I interpret as being God leading me. I'm just supposed to take, we get nervous about that. But there's really no reason to be nervous because, for one thing, that's where the Spirit is within us. That is how the Spirit communicates to us. Plus, we can always test what it is that we have as a course of action that we feel led to go over against what is revealed to us from the Word of God, from any of a number of different means. In fact, the Spirit uses different tools to communicate to us. Yes, he might speak in a thought. He might speak in, in, uh, to our conscience in an emotion. That's possible, but he still uses tools that will help us to evaluate are we for sure on the path that we are supposed to be on what are some of those tools we talk about them all the time like the word of God the word of God tells us and communicates to us what it is that God would have in store for us the spirit confirms that the spirit leads us in that and interestingly enough the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 Paul says that the word of God is actually the sword of the spirit that's right It's a weapon in the hands of the Spirit that he uses to lead us, to guide us, to confirm for us what it is that we are to do and where it is that we to go. And if there's a time out which says, don't go there, that too can come from the word of God. Prayer is another tool that 
that the Spirit uses that would communicate to us whether or not we're on the right path and the direction that we're going. Other things like the godly counsel of people who already have the Spirit of God alive in them can be very helpful for us as well. And some others that we don't often think about. Things like the fruit of the Spirit. You know what those are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And when those things rise up in us, where are they from? They are the fruit of the Spirit. So when they rise up, when you are feeling like I need to be more loving in this context or I need to develop, not develop, but I need to exercise, I desire to exercise this greater self-control in my life and where I'm going, we can understand that that is the Spirit of God that is speaking because that's where that fruit comes from. And so when we recognize that those things are desires in our mind, we know we can run after these things. We can run in those directions because it's derived from the Spirit of God and it's in keeping with what it is that he's developing up and in us. And we can be anxious about moving our way forward. We can be determined about moving our way forward knowing that God is in where we are headed. Very important that we would catch on to that aspect of all of this. The problem in hearing from the Spirit is not that he's not communicating to us, but that oftentimes we don't have our heart in a position to receive what it is that he would desire to say to us. Because we get distracted. We get running here and we get running there and and our ability to sort of set ourselves quietly down and and set some time aside so that we might be able to devote ourselves toward the end of hearing what it is that the Spirit is trying to speak to us and to teach us and where it is that he's trying to lead us. We just get too distracted with all of that, which is why I love what it says in Acts chapter 13 where it talks about how they heard from the Spirit of God. Listen to this. This is the church he's speaking to. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. What's their posture while they are hearing from the Spirit of God? They're worshiping. They are fasting. They are setting themselves aside toward the end and for the purpose of hearing what it is that God would say to them. They're aligning themselves with God and it's no surprise that it's in those moments that they hear that they know the direction to go. I remember the very first time that I asked Carolyn to go out on a date with me. It wasn't actually the first time that we went out on a date because they had this thing called pick a date for your roommate. I don't know if they still do that or not, but they did then, and her roommate actually set us up for the first time, and so we went out on this date, but you would think that, well, when it came time for me then to ask her out for the first time for myself, that it would be a lot easier. No, that is not true. It is not a lot easier. In fact, it's harder, because if I were just asking her out for the first time and we'd never gone out, I might at least get a pity date out of her, right? But now she's already been out with me, and if she declines now, she is already telling me that she thinks that I'm a dork, and it's an informed opinion because she's already been out, right? And so I practiced when it was time to ask her out. I practiced. I wanted to make sure that I said the right thing and I wasn't an idiot on the phone because I knew it was going to be a phone call. And so I, here's what I'm going to say. And if she says this, I know what I'm going to say in return. And, and it's like I need to set up the perfect environment to call in so there's no distractions that are going on so that I don't have my mind wandering. I want to be sure that I'm, I'm clear in what I'm saying. And so I worked all of that out. Now today that's easy to get distraction free because you just grab your cell phone and you go off wherever you want to go and there's nobody there. 
In those days, it was like your distraction-free zone comes as far as your phone cord will take you, right? And in the dorm room in those days, it was like it can be on my bed or in, uh, at my desk, and they're like three feet apart. So I had to plan all this out when it sounds like I'm, yeah, it sounds like, I don't know what I was, but uh, it sounds kind of weird, all of these machinations I was going through to get it just right, and then my roommate, I needed to make sure that, that he was going to be gone, and it was a time that I knew Carolyn would be in her room, and, and all of those things, just getting it all worked together, and it wasn't until he left that I finally knew that this is the moment that I've got, that I'm going to have to go and make it, because it was distraction-free, because the, the moment was set up so that I might be able to have that communication the way that I wanted it to be, and it seems to me that when it comes to hearing from the Spirit of God, we need to be at least that intentional. We need to be at least putting ourselves in a spot where can, we, we can be that focused or more so. Because when it comes to hearing powerfully from the Spirit of God, if that's what we really want, we're going to have to make it the main event. We're going to have to take it to a place where we actually make it the main event. Now, I know that there are great benefits in multitasking. It's a great thing for us to do, and I do it myself. I, I love to ris- listen to podcasts while I run. I read if I happen to be eating alone. I text while I drive. I do all kinds of All right, I don't do the last one, but there are a lot of benefits to multitasking, but not when you're wanting to hear from God. Not when you're trying to listen to what it is that he would be saying to you. So how do you find that time? Where do you put yourself for that to happen for you? It's not while you're driving to work. It's not that the Spirit of God can't speak to you while you're going about doing something else, but if you're setting yourself to the point of wanting to hear from him, it's not while something else is going on. It's not while you're driving to work. It is not while you're mowing the grass. If we want to hear God speak to us, we have to make it the main event. So what does that mean for you? And where would that take you? Genuine peace, genuine focus. See, if you will, you're going to hear from God because the fact of the matter is he's already speaking. In this moment, the Spirit of God is speaking, wanting you to hear what it is that he has to say. The problem is that sometimes we're not listening. We're not paying attention. Paul actually talks about that and he gives the instruction, do not quench the spirit. If he's giving us that instruction, then it's clear that there can be a time in a way that we do actually quench the work of the spirit. Spirit is a work to lead and to guide, but you're not interested sometimes in going down that path. You're too focused in on what it is that you want to do, where it is that you want to go. And he's leading you, but you're not going to be coerced. Sometimes I wish God would just coerce me. When there might be some temptation along the way that he'd just say, no, you're not going that way, you're going this way. But he doesn't do that. He in his love gives us the ability to choose and to decide, and he leads us in his love, and he guides us, and he directs us, but he doesn't insist that we would have to go one particular direction. And the choice that you make in that moment reveals a lot about what's going on in your heart. So you can plot any course that you want. But plotting the best course can't be done alone. It can't just be about, here's what I want. Here's where I'm headed. And God, I hope you're in on this. But it's where I'm going either way. Plotting the best course can't be done alone. 
So it seems pretty obvious we would want to go where the Spirit leads, but sometimes we don't. And there's a reason for that. And one of the reasons for that is because the place He leads us is foolish. Now, before you send me a nasty email, I'm not the one who came up with that. God is. The Bible says that. In 1 Corinthians 1, we read, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we balk at following after the Spirit's leading is because it puts us out of step with the culture around us. And I'm one who's got this predisposition to fit in. I want people to like me. I want people to agree with me. But if what the Apostle Paul here says is right, embracing God's wisdom is going to lead me into disagreements with those people that I would desire to influence. Doesn't mean that I need to be disagreeable. And sometimes that's the problem that a lot of Christians fall into is like, well, I've got truth on my side, so I can say it however I want to say it. Yes, you can, but it's not going to lead you to influence in doing so. And the sooner that we're okay with the fact that there's some tension that's going to be inevitable whenever we do speak truth and speak the truth in love, we're going to be able to figure out how we can navigate our way through that to the place where we genuinely can have influence. That's what our desire is. See, here's the thing. The sooner I'm okay with that and can navigate it, the sooner I can have that influence. Don't think for a moment that fitting in with the world's wisdom is giving you a platform. All it's doing is making you a friendly, irrelevant person when it comes to truly impacting the world in which you live with the gospel, with the direction of Christ for their lives also. I don't want to be satisfied with that, and I don't think you do either. So how can we gain the confidence to navigate our way forward without fear? Whether it would be in relation to other people in the world, whether it would be something that is just another decision that we need to make. How can we get ourselves to the place where we can have the confidence to move forward without fear? Because can we acknowledge that sometimes we're just fearful about taking the step because we don't see what's down the road and so we're just afraid to, to go there. How do we get that sort of confidence? I think this is something we make a lot harder than it needs to be because when I listen to people, I hear people saying things like, well, what if I make the wrong choice? What if that's not where the Spirit was leading? See, those are dangerous positions to get into because they're paralyzing. And they take us to a place where it's like, until I know with absolute certainty that that's the route I'm supposed to take, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to sit still. I'm just going to stay here. And many of us are stuck in the same place we've been for years now because we haven't been willing to exercise the faith or the trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit to take us somewhere where we don't see the total end at the beginning. Instead of a bias to sit still until we're 100% certain we should go, why not take on a bias to move ahead until we're 100% certain that we shouldn't? That'll kind of shake you up. If you consider there's really no evidence that I shouldn't move forward here. I've asked God for his leading and for his direction, and it seems like this might be a reasonable place to go. And it's not clearly against what the revealed word and will of God would be for me and for my 
life. Now, I'm certainly not saying whatever first pops into your mind, go there, do that. But once we have considered, is this something from God? Does this stand against the revealed word and will of God? Have I prayed about this? Maybe have I sought some counsel from some other people? It's not serving just some self-serving purpose for me. Why not take those steps? Why not move forward? For some of us, that's going to be the breath of fresh air that we need. That's going to be the, the nudge that finally gets us over the hurdle. See, responding in this sort of way, you're never going to know all of the steps all the way to the conclusion. If you did, there would never be any reason for faith. But if you've asked and you've prayed and God has revealed and, and it's not standing against something that you know would be wrong and it's not just so that I might be glorified in myself, it's like, why not take those steps? Someone might say, well, because if I get it wrong, things are gonna go bad and God's gonna be mad at me. No, he's not. That's not the nature of God. It's not the nature of God at all. Remember, you're acting on all of the light that you've been given up until this point. God's not going to whack you for that. If there's trouble that comes, why not just understand that sometimes God brings discipline or sometimes God brings direction that takes us in a course in a way that we weren't otherwise thinking that we might have gone. Besides, God is the consummate recalculator so that if you find yourself a little bit off the path that he might have you to be on, that he will redirect you, that he'll bring something that will help you to understand the way to go. And some of you have been getting that something for a long time now. You haven't been willing to make the adjustment. Now, having said that, I do believe that there are times when God's intention is for us to wait but I believe that what we can expect in those moments, if God's desire is for us to wait, that he will actively tell us to wait rather than just put us in a situation where we just have to passively be quiet because we can't decide what we want to do. I think those are very different things. And I believe if God's desire is that you should wait, he'll make it plain that you should wait, not just leave you in the dark, not just leave you confused. If you're a believer in Jesus, the Spirit of God is communicating to you today. He's bringing a thought to your mind, and that thing that you had come over you, which was like, well, maybe this is what I need to do. Very likely, that is the Spirit of God speaking to you. Even if you've been lazy about seeking after the will of God or the direction and the leading of the Spirit in the past, God is not one who is vindictive. He's not going to say to Will, well, you've been ignoring me, so I'm just going to ignore you for a while until you finally follow after me well enough. That's not the way that he works. He's speaking now, and he wants you to understand it so that you might take action on that. Even if you're one who is here today who before this moment has not even had a relationship with Christ and without that relationship did not have the presence of the Spirit, even in the very moment that you give your heart and life over to Jesus, that you put your trust in him, not only do you have the promise of eternal life in heaven forever, for eternity, you also have the presence of the Spirit of God in your heart and in your life to lead you and to direct you. Remember, plotting the best course can't be done alone, and it doesn't have to be. So pay attention to those inner promptings 
Don't just dismiss them as, well, those can't be trusted. Pay attention to what they are. Resist the urge to just go it alone. Make all of your own decisions and hope that God might come in at the end. Have a bias toward action. And when we do so, I think that we are going to get ourselves past the place of being stuck. We're going to find ourselves launched into the purposes and and the will that God would have in store for us. And we're going to walk down a path that is going to experience an alignment that perhaps we've never had. And if you're finding yourself in any place where there's sort of this lack of of full understanding of meaning and purpose and, and value and it just doesn't feel like you're hitting on all cylinders, then you can understand that there is something more that the Spirit of God is trying to communicate to you so that you might understand it more fully so that you might do it more completely. So I urge you to listen to find that time where you make that the main event to hear from the Spirit of God and lean into that. And when He calls you to go, to go. And what He calls you to do, you'll do. And as you do, you'll be plotting a course, not on your own, but together in concert with God's Spirit, who is God Himself. You'll find yourself where God would desire you to be, doing the things that God would have you to do accomplishing the purposes that God has established for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the fact that you love us. You love us enough that you lead us, that you don't just kind of start the world in motion and say, I hope you figure it out, but rather that moment by moment, You're working to speak to us. Help us to know what it is you'd have us to do in the small little decisions, in the huge decisions of life as well. Lord, I pray for my friends who are here, who are trying to discover and understand where it is that you're leading them, what it is they're supposed to be doing in a particular situation. Lord, I thank you that you give clarity, and I just pray that in these moments we would start to receive it, And that when you speak to us, we would recognize your voice. And that instead of saying, until I'm 100% sure, I'm not going anywhere, to consider saying, until it's clear that it's not the right course, I'm going. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful about being in your word, about listening to your voice, about understanding times when you might be putting a roadblock up, when you might be saying, wait, But Lord, we want to be people who are actively accomplishing your purposes and fulfilling what it is you call us to do. And I pray that you would give us the boldness to listen and the boldness to do. We pray toward that end in the name of Jesus. Amen.